0: Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we wanna invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message,
1: and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker,
0: cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. Well, hey, good morning, Mercy family. Good morning. Uh, So glad that you are here worshiping with us for. Worship at Home Sunday, Uh, really glad that you're here. Listen, today is a really special day for us because uh, we have for the second year in a row, we're kind of dubbing this Residency Sunday. Uh, Really excited to have one of our uh, ministry residents preaching God's word for us this morning. Now listen, if that residency idea is new to you, I want you to know we really are deep down in our core, we are asking God for a gospel awakening here in Charlotte carried to the ends of the earth. We know that means that we're going to have to help everybody that comes across our ministry figure out what their next step is in following Jesus. And for many, that's going to be ministry, full-time ministry. And we want to see lots of pastors and teachers and ministry leaders raised up here in our church. And one of the ways we do that is through our ministry residency program. It's a two-year program where people spend two years really engaged in ministry here as a part of our staff team. And Lord willing, we will send them out into ministry placement at the end of that time. And several of our staff members that we have now, full-time staff, came out of that residency program. So I'm excited about this morning. Uh, Trey Gouch is going to be preaching God's Word to us. Yeah, that's right. Um, He is one of our college residents here with Mercy College and has a great word for us that we've been working through. And I'm excited for him to bring it to you. So I'm going to stop talking. I'm going to let him come bring the fire. Trey, you come preach to us, buddy. Well, hey, Mercy Church, how are we doing? Hey, 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 it's so
1: good to see you guys, like Spence said. My name is Trey Gouch, and I am a college ministry resident. So, Mercy College, what's up, guys? I love you guys. I see you all at home. Just a little bit about me. I went to App State, and I got my undergrad there, and then I went to Southeastern Seminary, where I got my MDiv, and I've been married to Claire for three years. And I also, i am a huge Atlanta Braves fan. I almost wore my pearls. If you know, you know, almost wore my pearls, but I didn't. But honestly, this has been an amazing year because we won the World Series. If you didn't know, I'm here to tell you the Atlanta Braves are World Series champions. But man, it was a journey. Like that 2015 season, that was was rough. Like there was times like I just didn't even want to check the apps. I'm like, really? Like this team, like, this is it, like this is like the Atlanta Braves, like this is an embarrassment, like they were so bad. But I also, I want to get up and I want to share with you a word out of number 16. And there's this guy named Cora that we're going to be diving into. And I believe that Cora had this thought in his mind and it, it was kind of like a thought that I had when watching the Atlanta Braves in 2015, like this is it. Except Cora, it was more of like his calling and the, the, the ministry that the Lord had given him. He was kind of like, this is it? And I wonder if maybe you have asked that question. I wonder if you've ever asked God, like, really? Like, this, this is it? Maybe yesterday, when you were opening up presents, you actually told the people, you're like, wait, this is it? Like, these are all the presents? Like, like this is it? And, or maybe you heard that statement, and you're like, oh my gosh, like, I literally, like, I did so much. Like, like and you're saying, like, this is it? So you're probably familiar with that phase. and I'm not, like, or phrase, and I'm not trying to, like, like touch any nerves there. But also I wonder if maybe you said this one time when you finally stepped through a door that the Lord had opened up for you. And then once you stepped through that door and after looking at what all it entailed, you thought to yourself or said to someone, this is it? Like really, like this is it? I wonder if you're in a place currently where you are asking yourself and thinking, wait, really, God, like, this is it? Like, this seems too small. Like, this is not what I signed up for. This is not what I went to college for. Like, when I went on that youth summer camp or I came back from that fall retreat, like, I did not sign up for this. Lord, like, why? Like, really? Like, this is it? This is what you're giving me? If you're taking notes in your living room or if you're driving in the car, don't be taking notes. Like, just listen. Like, ask the person next to you to take notes. But I'm gonna call this sermon, This Is It. Okay, this is it. Now, the problem with this question is that it's almost like a heart posture of not truly believing what you have is enough. We are going to look at Korah. And like I said, and he he was a guy who he allowed that question of questioning God of saying, like, really, like this is it to have such a negative impact on the people around him to where he stirred up other leaders in the community. And okay, anyways, I'm, I'm getting ahead, but we're gonna be in number 16. So if you got your Bibles, open it up in your living room. Uh, if you need to go like hit pause, like go run, go grab your Bible and then come back. And we're gonna be in number 16. I know some of y'all heard that and you're like, wait, this is it, really? Like we're going to numbers 16, like that's today's sermon. Yes, this this is it. All right, so let's pray. Let's just go to the Lord because the thing is like, The Lord is just so mighty and he can just teach us so much. And I really, really just want him to move even through a screen. So God, we need you so badly. God, we love you. We're so grateful for the love that you have for us. Um, God, would your spirit just move? Lord, would would you use us with where you've placed us? Help us to be expectant for you. Uh, Just help us to depend on you, Lord. We need you to speak to us through your word. We are expectant for your word to speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, number 16. I'm here. I hope you're here. Um, As we get into number 16, I want to give you just a little bit of context. So we're going to talk about Korah, okay? So you probably got this down, K-O-R-A-H. That's Korah. He was born in Egypt, and he was born with the Israelite community, Now, I know this is like maybe your first time hearing about him, but the Israelite community at this time was in, in, in slavery. They were being oppressed by the Egyptians. They were facing dehumanization. And during this time where Korah was alive, God spoke and used Moses and Aaron to deliver the Israelites from the Egyptians. So we see God do this great, like literally this is crazy, like the Red Sea partying and all that. Yeah, Korah, he was there. Like Korah was there to experience all that. And guess what? We're gonna see how Korah began to forget the faithfulness of God in his life and it caused him not to trust in God in the present moment. So here we are, number 16, verse one. Korah, Dathan, and Abiram they became insolent and they rose up against Moses. With them were 250 Israelite men who were well-known community leaders who had been appointed members of the council. Korah was not seeing the work of God in his life as enough for him. And we're gonna be able to really dive into this. So you're gonna hang on with me just a minute as we go into Like, I'm just going to nerd out for a little bit because I love this passage. So Korah was responsible for transporting the items in the tabernacle. So he was responsible for moving things like the Ark of the Covenant. Korah was part of the the Kohathites and they reported to Aaron's son, Eleazar. Okay, say it with me. Eleazar, you got it? Eleazar. Eleazar, nice, nice. All right, so Eleazar, guess what? He oversaw all the items in the tabernacle the more that Korah interacted with Eleazar, he began to get jealous because Eleazar was a priest. He then was like, I-, I want to become a priest. So what ends up happening is comparison, jealousy, resentfulness, began to stir up in him to the point of him questioning God. And that desire of Korah wanting to become a priest he began to think that what God had given him just wasn't enough. He believed that that job and that ministry he had, he thought it was too small. I imagine Kor was thinking to himself like, as he was like carrying like the Ark of the Covenant, he was like, really like, this is it? This is it? And Kor was not seeing the work of God in his life as enough for him. This can so easily happen to us where we don't see the work of God in our life as enough. Like Cora, what ends up happening is comparison, jealousy, and resentfulness begin to stir up in us, which then leads us to doubting God and not trusting Him and constantly saying, this is it? Really God, like this This is it? Are you for real? So Cora is here at this breaking point and it's so important that we, that we dive into Cora is facing this comparison of jealousy and resentfulness because it's not like Korah just woke up one morning. He's like, all right, guys, come on, 250 leaders. Let's get up. Let's go up against Moses and Aaron and let's, let's go get this bad boy. Like, no, like it, something started to stir up in him over time and it's so important that if we want to avoid the mistakes of Korah to figure out, okay, well, how did Korah get to that point to where he started questioning God, doubting God and not fully trusting him? So let's go back here to number 16. What we're going to see through this chapter is we're going to see Korah's ambition. We're going to see he starts to rebel. We're going to see the impact that Korah had on people. Like it wasn't just Dathan and Abiram, the 250 community leaders, like, begin to be the whole Israelite community. And then we're going to see in the very end, God stepping in. So let's jump to verse number three. They came as a group to oppose Moses and Aaron. So remember, this is Korah. Dathan, Abiram, and like that whole well-known leaders. And they came to them and they said, you've gone too far. This whole community, like they're holy. Every one of them and the Lord is with them. Why then do you set yourself above the Lord's assembly? Here's the problem. This is why Korah's upset. Korah was resenting what God had given someone else. Do you ever find yourself resenting a coworker or a friend, a family member. Like you see the things they do in life and the responsibilities they have, and you think, dang, I really wish I had that life. I really wish I had it made like that. And instead of like getting to know the person, you start playing this script in your mind and you start creating a reality about that person that you believe before even getting to know them, or you have gotten to know them but you forgot how they got to where they are. There's this word, it's called editorialize, where like you make this unnecessary comments by stating your opinion on someone else. And the only reason someone got there is because you're like, oh, like they just got there because of like his or her nephew. And they like, gave him the connection, all that stuff. And then like, yeah, okay, so that's a new word. I just learned it. Spence taught it to me the other week, so... <laughs> So Korah has forgotten that God called and appointed Moses in the position that they were in. Because if you read in Exodus three and four, you can see how Moses and Aaron, like they weren't wanting that position. They were doubting God. They're like, no, no, like not not us, like no way. But like they humbled themselves before the Lord and allowed God to use them. They weren't seeking after the position that God had called them to, but they were faithful and obedient to stepping into it. And Korah forgot that. He, He knew that, he heard that, but he forgot that. And so he started rewriting this this script in his mind and create this made up scenario that Moses and Aaron had put themselves in a position of leadership over Israel. Not only does he create up this made up scenario, but he takes it a step further by creating a rebellion. Like he gets Dathan, Abiram, 250 well-known leaders in the community to go against Moses and Aaron to be like, no, there's no way you're supposed to be leading these holy people. But God had called Moses and Aaron to lead them. Cor's forgetting what God had delivered him from too. Like, do you remember? Like, he used to be a slave in Egypt. Like, Kor's forgetting what God had delivered him from and where he is now. Like, he is now free. And he's not doing these things out of bondage or slavery anymore. Like, the Lord has freedom and has given him a ministry that he is viewing as too small. When Kor began to resent what God had given Moses and Aaron, it then opened the door for Cora's ambition to be revealed. All of us have got ambition. We all got that ambition in our soul, whether it's like godly or, or selfish. But like, I don't know. I don't want to be stepping on toes this morning or anything. But like, is it cool you if we go a little deeper? Yeah. All right, let's go deeper. Selfish ambition ultimately drives you to do things because you want to be known, seen, and loved. Right? Like think about the last time you interrupted your coworker or you try to pitch an idea, or maybe it was yesterday at like the Christmas gathering, you wanna make sure everyone in the room knew that you are the one who picked out the gift and you found it and you don't want no one else to get credit for it. Like you wanna make sure you got the credit. That's selfish ambition. Godly ambition is the freedom to dream, create, fail, and take risks because you are already known, seen, and loved. Guys, this is how Jesus steps into our ambition. We, we see in John that when Jesus was baptized, that the, the clouds parted and God said, this is my son whom I love and I'm well pleased. And if you've got a relationship with God, God sees Jesus through you. Like Jesus is covering you. So we are known, seen, and loved. Therefore, we can take this ambition of not trying to be approved by anybody, but to do things for the Lord and, and do it with excellence. Yeah. So, what are characteristics of selfish ambition? Let's just look at Korah in just this one this one verse in verse three. We can see how, how Korah had selfish ambition in him by being discontent with what God had given him. He didn't like this position he was in. He began to compare himself to Eleazar. He began to grumble and saying like, "There's no way that like there's no way that that you're just going to be the leaders Moses and Aaron over like the Israelite community." He gets jealous. So we've seen these characteristics of selfish ambition. Let's read this next verse to see characteristics of godly ambition. So verse four, so when Moses heard this, he fell face down. What is the difference in selfish ambition and godly ambition? It's this, it's humility and dependency on the Lord. Moses falling face down revealed his character. Like I know that, there, that there's some of us who ever think about like ambition, and we have like this desire to like be a leader, be a CEO, be in a, a place of position. But the position is not the issue; it's posture, your heart, your posture, the way you are approaching this ambition. That's that's really what matters. Do you have a posture of humility and dependency on the Lord? Part of my testimony is uh, six years ago, I was in my dorm doing homework, and I had this voice in my head that said, you're going to be a pastor one day. And I was like, there's no way I'm going to be a pastor one day. I tried to avoid it, tried to outrun it and all that, and I eventually realized that that was God calling me to ministry. So then I end up finishing my time at App State. I was a youth pastor for three years. Uh, I, I get my MDiv, and... Honestly, my wife and I felt like the Lord was calling us to resign from that youth pastor position in August of 2020. There was nothing lined up. So I was like, okay, like uh, I'll take a step of faith, but surely like the Lord will give another ministry position, right? No, I was a maintenance man at a mobile home park for a whole year from August, 2020 to August, 2021. I stepped out in faith and it was so hard because I was just like, I was confused. Like there was times where I was like, like really God, like this is it? Like you have me in a sewer right now. Like don't you remember that time six years ago when you called me to be a pastor? Like how does this being in a sewer have anything to do with being like a pastor? Like what, like wearing this tacky beige uniform. Like how does that have anything to do with like being a pastor? And then what became a shift for me from realizing, from, from asking the question, like really God, this is it? To then making that a statement of like, oh, wow, like, this is it. Like, this is what you have called me to. It's something shifted. And I realized that God was choosing to develop my character. This was how God was choosing to realign the priorities in my life. This was how God was ultimately teaching me how to truly depend on him. And instead of desiring a position and a title to place my worth and identity in, the Lord was teaching me to find my worth and who I am in Christ instead of what I do. So since we're here on this topic of ambition, I think it's so important to talk about this one word, influence. Being a social media influencer may be a desire of yours. And you might have this desire of having this high position of leadership in the org chart to where you can use your influence. Hear me on this. I'm not saying either of these is wrong. I'm not saying that. But before desiring influence, you must ask yourself, why do I desire this? After asking yourself that question, allow scripture to check you. A great passage to check your ambition is Romans nine seventeen. It says, for this very purpose, I raised you up to demonstrate my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed through the whole earth. One more thing, because I think it's very important to address this. As we approach 2022 and as you've got your new year resolutions, my question for you is this, are your ambitions going to 2022 ambitious, like selfish ambition, is that involved? Like, are you dripping in like selfish, like desires or are you dripped in the gospel and godly ambition? How are you creating your new year resolutions? Okay, so anyways, let's get back to the text. Moses falls face down, right? We see that Moses takes the situation to the Lord because he trusts the Lord more than himself. We'll then see that Moses gives this command to come back tomorrow where the Lord will reveal his plan. So now we're gonna skip to verse seven. In verse seven, Moses says, the man the Lord chooses will be the one who is holy. You Levites, you've gone too far. Moses is calling out Korah right now for going too far. Moses also said to Korah, now listen, you Levites, isn't it enough for you that the God of Israel has separated you from the rest of the Israelite community and has brought you near himself to do the work at the Lord's tabernacle and to stand before the community and minister to them? He has brought you and all your fellow Levites near himself, but now you are trying to get the priesthood too. Moses is calling Korah out for going too far. Moses is asking Korah if what he has is enough. Now, can I get even deeper on this? Like, Can I get up in your business? Okay, are you telling God what he has given you isn't enough? Are you telling God what he has given you isn't significant? Are you telling God what he has given you is too small? Moses was asking Korah if what he had was enough. And Moses is asking some of you today, do you believe what God has given you is enough? Mm. Moses reminds Korah that that what God has given him is significant. And if you really want to dig deep on this, like go to Numbers chapter three, verse 27 and 32, and you can see what all that entailed. So Korah was seeking after something that someone else had rather than seeking after what God had given him. And the question I have for you is who is your Moses? Do you have a Moses in your life? Like what I mean by that is do you have a Moses in your life who is speaking to you things you need to hear? Not like what you want to hear. Maybe you have a Moses in your life, but you're refusing to listen to them. Like you need a Moses in your life that calls you out for going too far. You need a Moses in your life who asks you the hard questions. You need a Moses who reminds you of what God has given you is significant. What if God has given you something special, but you're overlooking it like Korah? What if you're overlooking it because you think it's not enough or it looks too small? Mandy Foster is a rock star and she told me about this book called The Tale of Three Trees. And so if you got kids, this is a great book for you to read. If you got grandkids, You should go pick it up from Barnes and Noble and you should get your grandkids. You should read it with them. And Mandy says that this is a great resource for you guys. So go get it. Oh, and it's also free. If you just like Google, like the transcript online, like you can actually get it for free. Uh, So yeah, that's, that's for you. So my question is, why is it so easy then for us to say, like, really God, like this is it? The reason I believe we say this so often is because we are expecting what God has given us to look fully developed. So instead of being a person who says, this is it? Really, God? Let's be a people who see the significance of what God has given us and say, this is it, God. I get it, I understand. So what's the difference? When you look at something happening in your life and you say to yourself or ask the question, this is it? What you actually are saying is that you believe what you have isn't enough. Therefore, you don't trust what God has given you as significant. When you look at something in your life and say or think to yourself, this is it, what changes is you believe what you have is enough. You trust what God has given you and you believe it's significant. So let's go to verse 12. Then Moses summoned Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, but they said, we will not come. Isn't enough that you have brought us up out of the land of flowing with milk and honey to tell us in the wilderness? and now you also want to lord it over us? Moreover, you you haven't brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey or, or given us an inheritance of fields and vineyards. Do you want to treat these men like slaves or to deceive these men? Will you gouge out the eyes of these men? No, we will not come. What we see here is Korah's friends were a bunch of yes people and friends who told Korah what he wanted to hear rather than what he needed to hear. This is why your community matters so much. You need to have people speak into your life on things you need to hear and to call you out when you're twisting up God's words. Like Dathan and Byram like, oh, we were in Egypt, the place flowing with milk and honey. Bro, that wasn't a place flowing with milk and honey. Come on, like you need people in your life to call you out and say, no, get your head up. Like, look at what God is calling you to. I think it's also funny to point out that Dathan and Byram, like, they weren't willing to meet with Moses and Aaron face to face. Like they were too scared to do that. Anyways. Okay. So Dathan and Byram, they they've forgotten what God had delivered them from and they, and where they are now, because they had forgotten what God had delivered them from. It's making it so difficult to trust what God's calling them to do. Listen, it can be so easy to forget what God has done in your life. And it can be so easy to forget what God has delivered you from in the past and you forget these things, it makes it so difficult to trust what God is calling you to do. So now, Dathan and Byram, and, the, and, and somehow talking with Moses, that whole thing ends. And we're gonna see how these two leaders leave. Korah leaves this conversation with Moses by stirring up the community. Moses and Aaron, they leave the conversation by falling on their faces three times going to God, asking for help. So now the day's arrived where the Lord is going to reveal who has appointed who to be the leader. Because remember, Korah is questioning God. He's questioning Moses and Aaron, being the leaders that God had called him to be. So verse 28, then Moses said, "'This is how you will know that the Lord has sent me "'to do all these things, and that it was not my idea. "'If these men die in natural death, and suffer the fate of all mankind, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord brings about something totally new, y'all check this out, and the earth opens its mouth, Yep, that next word, it says, and swallows them with everything that belongs to them, and they go down alive into the realm of the dead, then you will know that these men have treated the Lord with contempt. Wow, that, I mean, just imagine standing there and seeing that scene. Moses is saying here, if it's the Lord's doing, not his own doing, then something totally new will happen, and the earth will open up and swallow Korah, Dathan, and Abiram and their families alive. As soon as Moses finished speaking in verse 31, guess what happens? The earth opens up (laughs) and swallows them alive. Family, followers, all of them. Now, I know you may not have ever been swallowed up by the earth and you probably never will be swallowed up by the earth. But I think that this analogy can be kind of interesting to think about. The earth opening up can be a good analogy for us and a good warning for us of the dark space we put ourselves in when we start to view what God has given us as not enough and we start to lose trust in him. This also represents the seriousness of sin this also represents the seriousness of not trusting God. This also represents the impact you have on those associated with you and around you. So imagine you've got the Israelite community here. They just heard Moses say, the Lord's going to affirm who's supposed to be the leader. And if I'm the one who the Lord appointed, the earth is going to swallow Korah. Okay, well, our homeboy Korah swallowed up. Earth opened up, he swallowed. The Israelite community has seen this with their eyes and check out how they respond. Verse 41. The next day, the whole Israelite community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And they said, you've killed the Lord's people, they said. Like, how are these people complaining? Like, like you would think that after seeing the earth open up, they would have been like, okay, I get it. Like, I've seen it. Like, Moses and Aaron, like, y'all are our leaders. Like, we get it. Like, not, like please, Lord, nothing else. But instead... These people responded by getting mad at Moses and Aaron for the earth opening up and killing people. What I want to point out here is how Korah used his influence with people. Remember, just a few days prior, Moses reminded Korah of the ministry God had given him. Korah viewed his ministry as too small and not enough. And he led people to doubt God. He led people to not trust God. He led people not be satisfied with God. When you believe what you have isn't enough, you don't trust what God has given you is significant and you desire for more. And in that desire, you can end up leading to missing the fullness of your calling and gifting and dragging people alongside of you and hurting them. Cora did not believe what he had was enough and he missed the fullness of his calling and his gifting. Cora, guys, Cora had the chance to leave a legacy of helping people better worship God and glorify God. And remember, that was part of his responsibility and he didn't view it as significant. And instead of helping people better worship and glorify God, he chose to lead them in a way where their their very lives are now at risk. And uh, Spirit, help me say this, but I just feel like that there's some people who are placed in a position right now where you don't feel like what you have is enough. You're questioning God, you're doubting God. And instead of helping the people in your circle of where God's called you to, instead of helping them worship God and for God to be glorified through you, you are actually hurting people because you don't view it as significant. So my challenge to you, look what God has given you. Are you using that opportunity as a chef, as a waitress, as a maintenance man and a sewer Whatever it is, are you using that to help people worship God? And are you allowing God to be glorified through you? OK, got to pick back up. Um, so the, these people, they now are in a place. So the people are the Israelite community. They're now in a place where they believe that Korah's ways and plans were way better than God's ways and plans. So they're grumbling, and they're complaining. They allowed someone to twist God's word in a way that clouded their judgment of thought, where they now are so upset at Moses and Aaron. Y'all, this is the problem with sin. This is what sin does. Sin makes us think that our ways are better than God's ways. Sin is deceptive, and it tricks our way of thinking. And ultimately, sin leads to death. Look at this in verse 44. And the Lord said to Moses, get away from this assembly so I can put an end to them at once. And our boys, Moses and Aaron, they fell face down. Okay, so what does our sin deserve? We can see from this passage that sin, it ultimately deserves death. So let's pick up in verse 46. Then Moses said to Aaron, take your censer and put incense in it, along with the burning coals from the altar and hurry to the assembly to make atonement for them. Wrath has come out from the Lord. The plague has started. So Aaron did as Moses said, and ran. I love how the Bible includes that one word. Like Aaron, he ran. Like this was his job as a priest was to, to make atonement for people. He sees the urgency, he sees God's wrath. He's like, I, I, I've got to do something here. And he goes and he runs to make an atonement. And to the midst of the assembly, the plague had already started among the people, but Aaron offered the incense and made atonement for them. He stood between the living and the dead and the plague stopped. Aaron interceding and making atonement for the people gives us this beautiful picture of Jesus as our high priest. What we see here is disaster and judgment comes to those who grumble at God and don't trust him and don't submit to him. Here's the thing. God yields his judgment when an intercessor offers atonement for the sins of the people. All Aaron's sacrifices could do was just make atonement for a situation, not the souls of people. So, what's the difference between Aaron and Jesus? Well, Jesus' sacrifice was to make atonement for our souls and to get us in a right relationship with God. This is the gospel. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. How do you get that? John 10 9. Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Savior, and you will be saved. These verses are so beautiful to see why we needed Jesus as our high priest. Yeah. Aaron, as a priest, he couldn't make atonement for our sins. We needed a greater high priest, yeah. which was Jesus. These verses, they also reveal the power of prayer. Yeah. Man, if you are a follower of God, I want you to see how Aaron was so quick to run and to intercede. And I just want to challenge you, you Christian how, what is your prayer life like? Do you actually view prayer as significant? Or do you think that that prayer is just kind of like the McDonald's playground? Like you're like, oh, it's this fun little toy. Like I'm just gonna, or do you actually view prayer as holy and righteous and significant? That prayer can actually move the hand of God. All right, let's make this whole full circle moment here. Just as we wrap up, I want you to know that we don't have to be Korah. We don't have to be their Israelite community. So what can we learn? What can we learn from Korah? When we struggle to see the Lord's providence, it's easy to forget and ignore the sovereign hand of God and instead to blame others and get mad at others, which then leads to hurting ourselves and the people around us. All right, what can we learn from the Israelite community? Don't have a twig-like faith. What do I mean by don't have a twig-like faith? Well, the way you become fragile in your faith is when you're easily influenced when you find more trust and satisfaction in people. This is ultimately the start of deconstructing your faith. So instead of finding your trust and satisfaction in people, put your trust in God and find your satisfaction in Him. What can we learn from Moses? We can learn what godly ambition is. Godly ambition, instead of seeking a position, is having a posture of humility, dependence, and full satisfaction in God. What about Aaron? Aaron, we can see the power of prayer, but we also can see our need for Jesus. We can see how desperately we need Jesus. Y'all, I know that some of you have heard the gospel, and some of you have been thinking, really? Like, this is it? Like, a baby who was human was born in a manger? Like, that is the Savior? Yes. Yes, Jesus was fully God and fully man. And I want, to, I, I want to just ask you to just consider, if you haven't given your life to Jesus, can just consider to say, God, I'm all in. I can see my sin. I can see my need for a savior. I really, really need you, God. And if that's you today, man, we just read a couple of verses. John ten nine says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. Maybe you got someone next to you and you want to know more about it. Just tap them, be like, hey, talk to me in just a minute. Or maybe you're alone. Email me if you want to. It's trey, T-R-E-Y, at mercycharlotte.com. But you don't need people, like you don't need someone to intercede for you. You can literally go to God because of Jesus right now. So right where you're at, maybe you're driving, you got your AirPod in, maybe you're in the kitchen and you're baking up some like cake or something. You can literally, right where you're at, have a relationship with God. How beautiful is that? Y'all, what you have is enough. Your relationship with God is enough. What else do you need? Do you truly trust and believe what God has given you is significant? Let's pray. God, thank you so much just for your son, Jesus. I'm just so grateful that you could look at me and say, I love you. God, I'm so grateful that you can forgive my sin. God, I'm so grateful that you have given me the things you've given me. God, I just pray that you would just begin to speak to the people that are watching and listening. God, have your way. Would you use us to honor and glorify you? In Jesus' name, amen.